The point of this is to provide the best facts-driven show that we possibly can. Ideally, you have a glue guy who is good. Hashtag glue guy, hashtag locker room guy. You can't go sign Bobby Holy to a trillion dollars. You can't do these things. Very satisfying. The absolute best NYR show in town. This is the Liberty Blue. Liberty Blue. Rangers Podcast. Rangers Podcast. With Andrew Shelby. Andrew Shelby. And Nick Zoraris. Zoraris. Rangers fans, welcome to the best Rangers podcast in town. I am Andrew Chelney alongside Nick Zararis, and we are Liberty Blue. We scream about the Rangers so that you can save your voice. That's how deeply we care about you, and we appreciate that you've joined us for the ride. This is episode 13, live on Twitch. We'll put the full video up on our YouTube at Liberty Blue Podcast, and the audio version will be available as an audio podcast as well. Search Liberty Blue on your favorite podcast platform, and it should be there. And if it's not, let us know, and we'll put it on there at Liberty Blue pod on twitter and instagram i am at chelney andrew c-h-e-l-n-e-y andrew and that is nick zararis at nick zararis at nick z-a-z-a-r-a-r-i-s those are our personal handles to follow as well nick this is another idea off of your idea tree what have you got cooking in the oven for us today Okay, so my, my brain realized that there was about a month till the NHL season started, and we do one episode a week, and there's four divisions in the NHL. So very conveniently, I thought of this the other day, and this is very straightforward. Each of the next four episodes, we're going to go through the divi- each a division, each episode, talk about what the teams did in the offseason, and then one big overarching question for that team for this upcoming season. Today, we're starting in the Atlantic Division, the last episode before the season starts, that'll come out the Monday. I think the Rangers home opener is a Thursday, the 10th of October against Tampa Bay. So we will have the Metropolitan Division episode for you guys that week, right before the season starts. So we're starting with the Atlantic today. Um, the rundown, I have it in order of um, how they finished last year, I think. Yeah, I have it in the order of how they finished last year, which is a little interesting because I'm going to throw it up here on the bottom of your screen here. I was looking at the odds earlier and Toronto favored to win the division. I was a little surprised to see considering how good Florida was last year. Florida, obviously 122 points. They had a bit of a roster reconstruction and that's going to be the really interesting thing when we talk about them right now is, is change for the sake of change a good thing? Because to some degree, that kind of feels like what Florida did. They lost two years in a row in the playoffs to Tampa Bay and said, okay, we can't just run it back again. Because Jonathan Huberdo and Mackenzie Weger, very good hockey players. I just traded him. And Matthew Kachuk is a very good hockey player. Don't get me wrong. It's good to have two good hockey players as opposed to one good hockey player. Like that, that just sure. basic common sense. The one thing that kind of... I don't want to say scares me about Florida, but for, for their thought process and they couldn't think this, you know, ahead of time, but with Anthony Duclair going out for, I believe the full season with an ACL tear, their wing depth is kind of non-existent. Like if you go to dailyfaceoff.com and you see their projected lineup, they have Rudolph's balsers right now as their second line left wing. Is he really on a second line left wing? Because the answer, I think the answer is a fat no. So 
that is one of my major concerns for them coming into this season. Yeah, of course they have they still have Barkov, they got Kachuk, they still have Sam Reinhardt. Like they have they have a lot of good pieces, but when you kind of start to look down their roster, the talent kind of falls off a cliff. So for Florida with a goaltender that sometimes is incredible and sometimes is is the answer that I'll give to that. You you need everybody to be on the same page at all times to kind of make up for that, or at least mask the goaltending deficiency that sometimes happens with the Florida Panthers. And you can take a look at the lineup. I'm not so sure that the Florida Panthers can do that every single night. I mean, they 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 might not have to do it every night, but when they are called upon. Can they mask the deficiencies of Sergei Bobrovsky's game? The answer to that is I'm not confident. Okay, so one of the things that I do think is interesting when we talk about Bobrovsky specifically is when you look through his cocky DB and you go year by year, he's an on-year, off-year guy where he'll have a very bad year and then the following year he'll realize, okay, they're going to get rid of me if I don't play any better than this. So that kind of has happened pretty regularly, even dating back to his time in Columbus. So. He wasn't great last year. Neither was Spencer Knight. They rectify goalie. They'll be fine because of the style they play, that up-tempo, that, you know, 80 to 90 scoring chances per 100 per 60 minutes of ice time that very few teams in the entire league can keep up with. You're going to be able to mask a little bit of your depth issues with your style. Uh, some of the roster transactions did make me smile a little bit, seeing they brought in Eric Stahl and Mark Stahl together. They brought in, who was the other one? They brought in the winger from the Flyers, Gerald Mayhew. And they're going to have to figure it out. And this is one of the things that happens to you when you're a good team. You lose your depth. That is the entire point of the salary cap is to price teams out of their depth. So they constantly have to be churning through their bottom six to get new pieces in there to keep it somewhat balanced. There are other impacts the cap has, but that's the most direct one. Good teams are punished for developing good players in-house and eventually have to decide, okay, do we want depth or do we want high-end guys? And Florida has very clearly doubled down on the high-end guys because they traded two high-end guys to get themselves one high-end guy. And you traded away Mackenzie Weger to do it. And I've mentioned yeah. it before and I'll say it again. Mackenzie Weger is not just a throw in to this deal. Mackenzie, Mackenzie Weger is an incredible defenseman and you lose that. And that really thins out your, your deep depth because, okay, now you have to play Radko Goodison on top four. Now you have to have somebody like Gustav Forsling or, or is Mark Stahl really going to play top four minutes for this Florida team? Like I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I'm not very, on board with that idea, let's just say. So now, you know, you don't really fix that hole that you've created on the back end, but you're expecting it to just run it back with no issues. I I don't see, I guess the the Florida Panthers, I just just don't see eye to eye on what's the, on what the overall roster construction looks like because they traded away a top, four and arguably a top two defenseman and they didn't get anybody else. So how, like wh- what are you going to do about that, that huge pothole in the, in the front of your yard? Are you just going to avoid it? You just got to pretend it doesn't exist. Like it's there, whether you like to pretend that it's not, I mean, it's, Hey, like you're going to fall into it eventually. 
And the last part of this, and it speaks very specifically to the idea of just change for the sake of change. They got rid of Andrew Burnett, who was pretty good for them last year on an interim basis after Joe Quinville was dismissed. And they brought in Paul Maurice, who... A guy. One of the many hockey men. One of the many... One of the 40 white guys who is going to be rotated through the 32 NHL franchises forever. A very okay tenure in Winnipeg. Two very high highs where they went to the conference final once. And everybody predicted they would probably be a cup favorite the next year. And then they lost in the first round the following season. And the room got so bad in Winnipeg last year that Paul Murray said, okay, I'm done. I, I just can't do this anymore. This is affecting my life, how bad things are going here in Winnipeg. So... I'm very curious to see if they're going to maintain that high-flying style they played the last two years with all those high-end guys trying to score off of the rush, or if they're going to play a little bit more of that Paul Maurice, okay, this is a tie game with 10 minutes left, let's get to overtime, get our loser point at least, and then see what happens in the shootout. Because Winnipeg, horrendous defensively, after Bufflin leaves, after Truba leaves, as the good pieces on that team left, the defense on that team deteriorated very rapidly. If everybody remembers when they went to play um, Edmonton in the first round of the playoffs last year in the 56-game season, Edmonton was a unanimous pick pretty much across the board by everybody because the Oilers outscored them something like 19-5 to in their four regular season games. Some, some ludicrous goal differential. I know they played seven times in the regular season. It was something along the lines of like four Edmonton goals for every one Winnipeg goal. Just... I'm very curious to see how Paul Maurice is going to translate to this Panthers team that still has considerable talent. We said Barkov, we said Kachuk. There's a lot of talent on this roster. And for a team like Florida, it's going to come down to, can you stay healthy long enough and get into the playoffs and avoid Tampa as long as possible? I questioned the Paul Maurice decision when it happened, and I'm just still kind of unclear as to what the franchise is thinking by doing this. He's a guy. Is he really that much better than Andrew Burnett that you slight him like this? Because now Burnett's gone, understandably, because he felt (laughs) disrespected, and I I think he was. I mean, he, he comes in when the head coach was unceremoniously fired after, you know, a lot of the things that, that came to light uh, that he did in Chicago and he's out. Okay. So now Andrew, Andrew Burnett comes in and he did, he did very well. I mean, again, like how much of that was different than what Joel Quenville did. Who's to say we're not in the locker room. We're not at the practices. So we don't know. But the fact of the matter is, is that Andrew Burnett had a, a, a long time basically to either change the style to, to what he preferred or to tweak things as he went along and it went well, they made it, you know, decently far in the playoffs. Uh, you, could you say that they underperformed a little bit? Sure. I, you know, that, that you, the, the argument is there, but it, to, to replace Andrew Burnett with a guy who has been in this league for feels like 75 years at this point. I know he's not 75, but to me, he might, he might as well be because he's been coaching for such a long time. But like, what has he done? What has Paul Maurice done to, to say, okay, I clearly deserve this position more than Andrew Burnett. And I don't, I can't tell you what the answer is. I don't know it because he coached for longer. So what? Who cares? 
uh, uh, that to me is another question mark, and we have to move on to a different team here. But like that, there's a lot of question marks about the Florida Panthers, and I don't see what any of the answers are. Florida's going to be very interesting. Andrew Brunette, I think, will be the Devils' head coach by February because he's the, he got hired for Lindy Ruff's staff. I think if the Devils get off to a slow start, I could very easily see him being head coach of the Devils on in short order. Sure. So. Moving right along here, number two, I just wrote Groundhog Day. I didn't even write a question mark because that's what the Leafs do. Uh, every offseason, they reconfigure the goalie, they reconfigure the bottom six, they reconfigure the third pair, and we sit around and wait because the regular season doesn't really matter. They've been a good regular season team now for six, seven years now. They've made the playoffs pretty consistently since Austin Matthews came to that organization and now, for them, it's a matter of playoff success, regular season success. Even if they won a president's trophy, that's not really going to move the needle a lot for them. And it's fascinating that they went the route of saying, okay, we need to clear money from our books somehow. Let's roll the dice on Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov. Uh, very interesting priorities because they gave Cal Yarncroft a reasonable extension. I think they gave him something like three and a half million a year, something like that, as the third line center. Okay, that, you that's a little pricey, but you can swallow that. You, Zach Aston Reese on a PTO, that's a pretty good move. I, I I like that. That's somebody I would have liked the Rangers to be interested in. Victor Mete is in there. Adam Godet's in there. They brought in a bunch of periphery guys to see who could slide in in certain situations. But ultimately for the Leafs, until they win a playoff series, we're all going to be have the same opinion. They're going to be very good in the regular season. Austin Matthews will probably push 60 goals again, and we'll have to wait and see what happens in March and April because the regular season doesn't really matter for them anymore. We talked about this last week. I mean, the the, the thing about Connor McDavid that makes him the better overall player than Austin Matthews is that Connor McDavid essentially dragged uh, Leon Dreisaitl, a man who cannot play defense to save his life, Ryan Jen Hopkins, and Mike Smith to the conference finals. Right, like you take a look at the roster, like yeah, I mean, there's some good pieces here and there. Like Zach Hyman was good. Like I said, you know, uh, Nuge, Nuge was Nuge was good. Leon Dreisaitl can't guard a lawn chair, but like Connor McDavid essentially was the the driving, obviously the driving force of that team, and he took him to the conference finals with a goaltender that could not stop a beach ball if his life were dependent on it. So Austin Matthews, and I'm not blaming it on him, like. Again, there's there's so many different factors that go into a winning a playoff series. Your team has to show up to win a playoff series. Even even if you're Connor McDavid, if nobody else shows up, you're not on the ice 60 minutes a game. Somebody else has to show up at some time in order for you to win games in the playoffs, like for sure. The Leafs still haven't won a playoff series since 2004. So, okay. You get rid of your goaltender who was pretty good for most of the season. And now you say, okay, Matt Murray, you were terrible in Ottawa. You were not great in Pittsburgh following the cup wins. You weren't necessarily the, the lead role of, you know, like he, he played well during the cup runs, but the, the penguins didn't win because of his goaltending. There's like, I feel like that's not a hot take to say. So, okay. That's reasonable. So, you weren't the number one reason the the Penguins won the cup. You were atrocious in Ottawa, but again, I mean, the whole team was not good, but you didn't help. You got sent down to the minors because you were so bad, and now you're going to be the starting goalie for the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
have fun. Like there's there's a lot of pressure on him to do well. There's uh, going to be if if there wasn't enough pressure in in Ottawa, especially when he got sent down, there's going to be so much pressure on Matt Murray to do well in Toronto. That, and I don't know if he can do it. And it's not because Matt Matt Murray can't handle the meat. That's not what I'm saying. But like we saw what he did in Ottawa, where he just his stats did just weren't good. And okay, the Toronto Maple Leafs have a much better system in place and can actually play defense and sometimes and and can do things that uh, an NHL team should know how to do. But can you trust Matt Murray? Game seven, you put get you put Matt Murray out there. Seeing what you saw in Ottawa and also towards the tail end in Pittsburgh, can you trust him to make a save? And right now, the answer is no. But maybe he shows up to Toronto and has an incredible season. We don't know. We can always speculate. Ilya Samsonov should be a decent backup for him. And is he? It, can Ilya Samsonov be the starter if Matt Murray can't be the starter? I don't know the answer to that. He he had multiple chances in Washington to take the yeah. starting role, and he never did that really there either. So it's it just seems like every single year we ask: Is Toronto's goaltending good enough and the answer year in and year out is i don't know and once again in 2022 heading into next season is the toronto goaltending situation good enough the answer is i don't know this might be it for that entire brain trust up there between sheldon keith and kyle dubas i really do think that if they go out in the first round again that they're not going to be able to withstand it again just because they haven't been willing to try and shake things up. And for the record, I wouldn't have either. Uh, the only one of those four I would want to move is Tavares. And Tavares has a full no move and he gets paid too much where it would be too difficult to move him. So I, I understand why they have stuck to this roster construction. I probably would have rather tried to keep Jack Campbell as opposed to signing Kale Yarncrook as a premium third liner and tried to find money somewhere else, whether that's trading Rasmus Sandin instead of keeping him and using Lilligren in that spot. There, there was a way they could have made the math work to keep Jack Campbell in Toronto. He was very good for them for about 55 games last year, and then his hip started bothering him. He tried playing through that hip injury, and he wasn't really that good. They hung around in that playoff series. They probably should have beaten Tampa Bay, who we're about to talk about in a second here, but the playoffs are what matter. Uh, when you consistently make the playoffs over and over again, until you break through that glass ceiling, that's what you're going to be defined by. Fair or not, that's the way sports work. They were great in the regular season, and in the first round, again, they lost. Yeah, that's kind of that's that's been the Leafs' mo for years. So, what year are we talking about? Who knows? No one knows because they've. It, this has been the same story for twenty years now, pretty much. I've just like. They'll get there. They were good. The Everybody gets their hopes up like, hey, this is the year. This is the year they finally win a playoff series. And then again, year after year, they they don't. And after after a while, like you said, there's going to have there's more questions than answers and kind of the same questions that we've been having year after year for for them is is have been repeating themselves like, can the goaltending be good enough? Can the depth step up? finally for them how is the defense gonna look like there's there they have good names on that team for sure they have strong names but can everybody pull it together and win a 
a freaking playoff series? The answer so far has been no. Okay, so naturally, we're moving right along here. Tampa Bay, at this point, uh, aren't you guys kind of bored? Like, you still going to keep <laughs> doing this and keep torturing everybody else? Like, they locked up a bunch of guys. They locked up Chernak. They locked up Sergachev. They kept, they kept – that's basically where all of their kind of flexibility went this offseason was extending guys they already had. They traded out Ryan McDonough. They're going to be a little shallower on the back end. They're going to continue having basically the closest thing you can have to an AHL goalie as a backup as much as you can. And they'll be fine. They'll get into the playoffs. They play a style that's conducive to playoff hockey. For them, it's just a matter of how long they can fight off father time. Uh, it's very hard to design a roster to go in all, all in for one season to go for a Stanley Cup. More, You're better off trying to design a roster to have multiple cracks at it. And Tampa Bay, I still feel like, is firmly within that window where if things break right for them, they have one of the best goalies in the world. They have enough high-end talent where their one power play, their top six, and some of that third line is good enough. They can give anybody a series. Uh, they were a little bit they, – they got outclassed against Colorado, but last year's Colorado team was a little bit of an outlier in terms of talent and depth. I'm curious to see when it starts to fall off for them. I mean, Steven Stamkos is, I think, 33 now. Hedman is almost 30. But that's still a really good team. That There really is nothing else to say. It's a it's a really good team. The only question marks that I have right now is, like you said, they traded away Ryan, Ryan McDonough. Andre Palat went to New Jersey, and they didn't quite fill those couple of holes. I mean, they got Ian Cole, who is Fine. all right. But he's, you know, even even though Ryan McDonough is not the same player that he was with the Rangers and even even early on in Tampa Bay, I still like Ryan McDonough. I still think he's a he's a as, as a good NHL defenseman. So they didn't quite fill that, and they really didn't fill the, the hole that Andre Palat left. Oh, and I I feel like he only left because the they just did not have the the money available to sign yeah. him because he the Devils did pay him well and I'm sure he's going to do well in New Jersey but they didn't really fix that but again they're they're like you said their top line their power play unit their most of their defense and they still have Vasi I mean all of that is still so good that. Yeah, I mean Palat. Palat, I think is on, he played on the second power play unit. Like he, he really drove that, you know, the, that kind of that play when Stamkos and Brain Point were all not on, were not on the ice, and that's gonna that, that that's gonna hurt him quite a bit. But other than that, they're still pretty much the same team, and with with the rise with the media with the meteoric rise of to success that that Ross Colton has had, where he's kind yeah. of been this energy spark and he's done everything that the, the, the lightning have needed him to do and again another homegrown product right they drafted him he played in syracuse for for a while and then he got he yeah, now he's up in the big leagues and he's doing good things there so they still have a lot of good pieces uh they brought in rangers legend and former lightning legend vlad nemestikov he's gonna do good things for them in the bottom six they're still a really solid team it's just you lost palat and you you didn't quite fill that gap so there might be a little dip in in offensive power powerhousing i guess if that if you can make power offensive if you, production yeah if you can make powerhouse a verb sure go for it why not but they're still going to be a really good team it's just a matter of you know when they need a goal can they rely on not their 
first line to do it? Can they rely on their set? Like, can they rely on their bottom six to to pick up the pace a little bit in the scoring production? That's kind of my only question. But they, hey, they're still the lightning. You still got Vasilevsky. They're gonna be fine. And they got John Cooper, which doesn't hurt you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving right along. This one is interesting because I, I titled this question, do we still do greatest hits albums in 2022? Because people don't put out greatest hits albums anymore unless they're like a classic rock band doing like 40-year remasters of a classic rock album. And that's basically what the Bruins are doing here. They brought David Krejci back from, he played the last year in Europe. Patrice Bergeron, one more year. Marshawn and McAvoy will both start the year on injured reserve, both coming off of major offseason surgeries. New coach, uh, sure, let's see what happens. I, I think the Bruins will be fine, but this roster just keeps getting older, uh, especially no Marshawn, who's been one of the best wingers in the entire sport for the first couple of months, and no McAvoy. I think no McAvoy for the first month or two is really going to hurt them because Hampus Lindholm is fine. He's not a play-in-all-situations guy like McAvoy is. We both had him ranked in the top 10 players in the entire league last week when we did our Top 20 Players episode. So just they're going to be a very top-heavy team again like they were last year. And they're probably a fringe playoff team, but I don't know if they can be anything more than that at this point with the versions of the guys they have. I think they'll still make it. Uh, McAvoy, I would imagine, is going to come back sooner rather than later i mean he, he's not going to be available for a while and and but I, I do think that the bruins they might struggle early on but i feel yeah. like once they get their sea legs under them and once their their best players come out of injury reserve they'll they'll pick it up and i think they will make the playoffs and pavel zaka i think is a great player i think for what he does and what kind of space that he has to work with i think he i think he operates in that space very well i like how he plays i think he's a very smart player he knows what to do when he has the puck when he doesn't have to puck like well he it, when you slot him into the top that's six, a smart gamble he, that's a smart gamble absolutely he's somebody that can play in all situations and the devil's devil's fans that have watched him they they know that they lost a good player here and for boston to to get him it's it's definitely worth you know worth worth a try for them yeah are they a cup favorite and i would imagine the answer is no but are they a playoff team i would put a good amount of money on them making the playoffs would i put everything on it probably not but there's st- they still have bergeron yeah he's still you know, not young he's still at 25 he's not gonna be 25 again but they they, they brought back david Krejci, who do- who to me, to my understanding, didn't lose a step in, in Czech Republic. He just wanted to go home. He wanted to play there for a little bit, but now he's back. So to me, they, they obviously watched him play. They obviously still feel like he can play in a top six role. So this this is this is the, the last lap. This is it. Because Patrice Bergeron has been kind of toying with the idea of retirement. David Krejci is back after playing at home. If Bergeron goes, I would imagine Krejci goes as well. Pasternak is there, but you know he's. I he's would one ma- year away from UFA. If exactly. it goes bad this year, that is the hottest ticket at the yep. deadline. If it goes bad this year for the Bruins, I think it would be negligence if they didn't trade him. I, I really, I, I don't think you could defend that because you go into next summer with no Bergeron and no Krejci, and you pitch David Pasternak, you're going to be the face of this team with McAvoy. That's it. It's them. It's Taylor Hall. 
that there's not a lot beyond that right now. They have really botched the draft for the last couple of years, as all my Bruins fan friends like to tell me. They have a lot of guys who are fine bottom sixers, but nobody they they don't really churn guys out. They have a similar problem to the Rangers, where people they draft don't get AHL seasoning. They get called up too early and messes with their development, and then they don't really ever reach their full potential. And the Bruins. They're very close to the precipice of a rebuild. They're one bad season away from a rebuild because I think everybody's kind of in agreement that Bergeron and Krejci, this is probably it for them. And if Pasternak's a pending unrestricted free agent, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. I like Jim Montgomery. I think maybe even more than most people. I, I really mm. like how he coaches and I really... Uh, of all the of all the head coaches in the NHL that, that get a second opportunity, I feel like he was the one that really deserved a, another shot after the way that things ended in Dallas. Yeah. And, you know, he he had his own personal issues and now he's back and, you know, looking for redemption. And uh, I, I really like that the Bruins gave him another opportunity. I just wish the Bruins ever fired Bruce Cassidy. I, yes. I will never understand that decision. Yeah, I mean, like... The Bruins underperformed in the playoffs. So you can make that argument, but like, is that really on? Uh, to watching the yeah. Bruins play, is that was the, were those playoff failures really on Bruce? Like the, them losing to the Carolina Hurricanes in round one in Game Seven, they they lost by a goal. Is that really on Bruce Cassidy? Like I I don't I get I guess to the Bruins it was they needed to make some kind of switch, so they made it. I, I don't understand that whole thought process. I think he got slighted there. Jim Montgomery, I, I really like. I really respect him as a, as a head coach. And I hope he does really good things in Boston. But if this doesn't go well this season, Jim Montgomery is going to be in control of a team, probably without Bergeron, probably without Krejci, maybe without David Pasternak, and a whole bunch of pieces. Like, I, what's what's he supposed to do with that? I don't know. Don Sweeney lucked out. Uh, I don't know how he sold that to the owners that Cassidy should be the one to go and not him, but hey, that's that's the way it works. Self-preservation, maintaining. I mean, the advantage they'll have is this division isn't deep. It's top-heavy. So as long as they beat up on the teams beneath them, they should be able to hang around the wild card, even if they are a little bit shallow, especially to start the year without Marshawn and McAvoy. So... The next team we have here is the team that had a very fun offseason, the team that everybody's kind of been waiting to see. Are, are the Senators going to go from being good and like a sicko, why am I watching this team way, to a like actually competitive hockey team? And there's a reasonable chance that Ottawa's competitive this year. I won't say good. I'll say competitive. I mean, anytime you bring in somebody who's a 40-goal guy like Alex Dabrinkit, you bring in somebody with the pedigree like Claude Giroux, you bring in a bona fide NHL goaltender like Cam Talbot, you already have pieces in place like um, Thomas Shabbat and Tim Stutzla and Brady Kachuk. You bolster it. You give those guys a little bit of confidence because for so long that organization has just been trading away anything with a modicum of talent to just keep it kicking the can down the road as opposed to trying to build a winning team. And now it seems like the light went on that Ottawa is going to actually be competitive this year. And I'm very excited to see what happens. That That's all I can say. There's a lot of excitement about the Ottawa Senators, which is weird. They're going to be much better than they were last season, which isn't saying a whole lot considering they were a, an absolute dumpster fire 
uh, over the past few seasons. My biggest questions with them is the defense and the goaltending because Cam Talbot was was solid in Minnesota for the most part, but the but when when it came down to it, the Minnesota Wild did not trust Cam Talbot enough, and they and they and they sought external help, and essentially he was forced out of Minnesota. So okay, so now you go to Ottawa. In, in a system that doesn't employ good defensemen. I mean, you got Travis Hamannick, you got Artem Zub, you got Nikita Zaitsev. That's that's your whole right side. That's it. Incredible there's work. Shab- there's a reason Shabbat plays 35 minutes a game. Right, because they don't trust anybody else to do it, so Shabbat has to play all these minutes. Like, yeah, I think they're going to score a lot of goals, but they'll, yes. they'll kind of just be like a team that ends every game 9-8. If that makes sense, just like a team that can't stop anything, but hey, they'll score. If if nothing else, they'll be fun to watch. If you're if you're not a Senators fan, you might want to tune into some Sens games, if only for the spectacle that is going to be the Ottawa Senators, because they like they'll they'll score a bunch of goals. They won't stop anything, so it'll just be a it'll just be a bunch of '80s hockey. That's what it'll yeah. be. That's what the Senators will do. And if they win more games than they lose doing that, then they'll make the playoffs. But if they make the playoffs, will they do anything in the playoffs with this current roster construction? To me, the answer is a big fat no. But hey, if they, at the deadline, acquire one or two or three or four <laughs> good defense, hopefully, maybe, four good defensemen, then, then we'll talk about it. But as of right now, I don't have any faith in that, especially on that right side on defense. Good luck. Cam Talbot, good luck. What, the last thing I want to say about Ottawa before we move on is for a fan base that's been like totally dejected and like basically passively protesting games for the better part of the last five years by just choosing not to go, that team playing in front of 8,000 people in the Ottawa suburbs, it's a very good gesture from the trust that's in charge of the team now since their last owner passed to actually be investing in the team and saying, hey, we know things haven't been great the last couple of years, but we want to put a good foot forward here and say things are going to get better. Please come out and support the team. I mean, from what I was looking at the other day, there's only a couple hundred seats left for their home opener because I saw one of my friend's friend fans tweeting about it and say that just, five times fast by the way oh god bro i couldn't say i could barely say it twice <laughs> let alone five but yeah i was talking to her about it the other day and i was like yeah i'll go look just out of care yeah there is excitement there is a buzz about the ottawa senators and for a team that i think 70 something points whatever 73 points in the standings last year my notebook's over here i reconfigured my desk so i had to but yeah 73 points in the standings last year you get you probably got to sniff 90-ish to be in the mix for a playoff spot. If they can just go from 75 to 85 in this one season, I think that's a success for them. I, I think that's where we can end the points on the Senators. But tangible progress, steps in the right direction, have a little bit of fun along the way. I, I think that's a reasonable goal for the Senators this year. Speaking of your setup, by the way, I still haven't had my my arm set up for my camera. So if I'm looking like this direction, like that's because you're on my other screen and my camera is right here. So I'm like, gotcha. I'm looking there, I'm looking there, like my I'm looking right here, I'm looking like down here for like more notes. Like there's there's a whole bunch of things going on. But yeah, for, for the senators, I, I would agree. Like if they if they get close to that's playoff contention, that's a, for them that's a good season. And anything more is a bonus for them. 
if they make the playoffs, it'll be fantastic. Like that's, that's going above and beyond. I don't, if they do make it, I don't expect them to do much of anything, especially like I said with that defense, which doesn't really good. But like it, they, they, it, if they just win a few more games and they get closer and closer to being a, a potential playoff team, and and maybe even if they instead of doing a fire sale at every every trade deadline, look to acquire a piece or two. If it, not, maybe not even an expiring free agent, but somebody that is making a little bit too much money for some teams and they will acquire that player for, for long-term, you know, to, to secure them long-term as opposed to going for somebody that is expiring and can be out the door uh, in, in, a, in a month from now. Maybe they do something like that if they're smart about it, which senators haven't done much of in the past, but hey, maybe, maybe now they'll, they'll go ahead and do that. But if they win a few more games and they're knocking on the door, it's a good season. Okay. Detroit... Detroit was interesting this offseason because they made moves like they think they're kind of close. But when I looked at their roster today, I didn't seem like it didn't feel like they were particularly close. Like Andrew Kopp is like the last piece you add to a team that's one guy away. You traded for um Villa Huso, who was okay, like it was pretty good last year for the Blues. You brought in another goalie on top of that. They made a lot, they were very active. In the offseason, they brought in a bunch of pieces. They brought in Ben Sherratt. They brought in Oli Mata. They brought in David Perron. They brought in Robert Haig. They're, they're better. I don't know how much better than last year, but they brought in guys who are NHL players that are going to replace the spots of guys who weren't NHL players. So that's progress. Um, They hung around last year a lot later into the season than I probably most people would have given them credit for. They petered out, though, towards the end of the season. They only finished with 70-something points in the standings. Um, Eventually, they're going to have to start winning, or Steve Eiserman might start getting some dirty looks. But for now, again, just like Ottawa, be a little bit better. Don't be an embarrassment. You've got two bona fide NHL goalies now. Keep playing your young guys. Hopefully, Maurice Sider keeps looking more like a Norris Trophy type of guy. You keep Dylan Larkin in the fold. There are things to be optimistic about, but again, you still need more things if you're Detroit. I don't know if you go on that kind of shopping spree with the amount of holes they still have, even after going on that shopping spree. I think Eiserman still has a very long leash, considering the yeah. fact that he took over when the Red Wings were... I don't even know like what could be worse at dumpster fire, but like they they were objectively one of, if not the worst teams in the NHL. So when you take over a team like that, the expectation is that, okay, I'm here for a while and the team will still be bad for a while, but we're going to figure it out. And through free agency and drafting and trading and, you know, extensive time, eventually we're going to figure it out. And they're not quite there yet, but I, I feel like they're at least on the right path. And and for Iserman, I I I think like he has one of if not the most secure jobs right now in the NHL, yeah. just because like he the the Red Wings knew what he was walking into when he accepted the job. They were terrible, and what is he supposed to do? Just sign everybody and hope for the best and and make and make it to the playoffs like no he's doing it the smart way of of building to the draft and acquiring assets and and doing everything he can to to secure long-term success for this franchise so he's on the right path but 
the questions on this roster still remain because right now daily faceoff has projected and who knows what the what the roster will be come reg- come the regular season and beyond but right now the defensive pairings on the left side are Ben Sherratt, who can't really defend who's supposedly playing the top pair okay and you got Oimata who can't skate and you got somebody named Simon Simon Edvinson, who I'll be honest, I don't really know who that is. So that's that's their left side. And for all who I know, who we play si- for, Andrew? Who yeah. we play for? Simon Edvinson, for all I know, could be a great player. Like I, I'm just I'm I, I'd rather be honest with with everybody that's that's watching than than pretend that I know who this is. Like I legitimately have no idea who this is. So he could be very good. I don't know, but I do know that Ben Sherat isn't very good defensively, and I do know that Olimata can't really skate that well. So if that if those two are your best two left side defensemen, you got problems and you're you're gonna give up a lot of opportunities to do so. And Vili Huso, can he stop a lot of those chances? Maybe. Can Alex Nadelkovich do it? Maybe. Can can they do it long enough to be a threat in the playoffs? I don't think so. But they're on the right path, and they're still a very young team for what it is. I mean, they have they brought in a lot of veterans. Maybe some of them will just help the young guys get along in their maturity and their development. And you bring in somebody like David Perron, and you know Dominic Kublik is a, is, a, is a young guy, but his his analytics are kind of all over the place. Maybe they fix him in Detroit. Andrew Kopp wanted to go to Detroit, so now he's there. He wanted to go, so so he's 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 there now, and. You still have a lot of young players on that team, and will they make the playoffs? No. Will they be closer? Yeah, probably. They they're definitely they definitely won't be as bad, I think, as as they have been. Progress, yeah. Okay, we're moving along at a good pace. We're not meandering too much. We only have two teams left. We're at fifty minutes, and we started at nine minutes in, so we're doing a good job on time. So, next up, Buffalo. I'll just be honest. I just want to see Owen Power play. That's really all I care about yeah. for the Sabres this year. They they had the um, the rookie availability for like the uh, they do a bunch of things with that now where they sit them down with the media. They do the photo shoots for the um the trading cards. They did that last week. Kind of okay. Owen Power. I'm very excited to see play. Uh, him. They've got um Dalian. They've still got Jeff Skinner. They've got 44 year old Craig Anderson. Uh, it's probably not going to be pretty again, but again, they weren't as bad last year as they were the year before. Take a little bit more in that direction, like we've said for each of the last two teams, but keep going in the right direction. The, they got a little bit of goodwill based on how the end of last season went, and after they got Jack Eichel traded, there was a little bit of optimism around the organization for the first time in a little while. They feel like they finally might have the coach right in Granado, so we'll see, but I do want to watch Owen Power play. That that's realistically all I have to say about the Buffalo Sabres. He's going to be very fun, and I feel like I'm a broken record here. But my concern is the goaltending. Craig Anderson is not very young anymore, unfortunately. And they have Eric Comrie now too. And they have Eric Comrie, who is a guy. So, and and again, like I mean, no disrespect. Like I, if they, you know, if they were sitting right next to me, and we were like having drinks or like whatever. Like that's this is not. I'm not talking about the people. I'm talking about their on ice production. Yeah. And this is not a slight to them as individuals, but if if you just take a look at what they've accomplished on the ice in the NHL, I would be concerned. That's all. That's all I'm saying about that. Like, 
the last thing I want to, you know, I'm not, I'm not out here to like take shots at anybody in particular. Like, like if, if, if you, this is why we're the most objective Rangers podcast on in town, right? Because we, we take a look at what's what people have done on the ice and we critique the player based on what they've done on the ice. So is the goaltending an issue for Buffalo? Yes. yes. Is the, is the, the defense still an issue for Buffalo? Yes. I mean, it's better. It's better. They got Owen Power. They got Rasmus Dahlin. Like, they brought in Ilya Labushkin, who was good defensively. Like, is it better? Sure. Is it still a problem? Yes. Is their depth scoring still going to be a problem? Yes. Like, they they still have problems on, on, on all sides of the ice here. So, are they going to be a playoff team? I don't think so. But they are definitely closer than yes. they have been in a very long time. And if nothing else, then Buffalo fan, Buffalo fans should be excited about the future of this team for the first time in a very long time, maybe since the Chris Drury age, where the Sabres can really be excited for the future of their organization. That's, I mean, that's been a long time. But, like, they, they have a lot of young talent. They have a lot of really good young talent. And it's only a matter of time before they start to pick up the pace. Maybe they get somebody that's not Eric Comrie or Craig Anderson to play goalie. Maybe they bring in an actual defenseman to, to help Owen power and Rasmus Dahlin out. Like if they do these things, then they could be, they could be a dangerous team right now. They're not, but if they, if they win a few games that they're not supposed to win and they win the games that they are supposed to win, they could be close. Like this is a team that I wouldn't bet my, my house on them making the playoffs or anything, but could they be closer than what we think they can be? Maybe, for sure. They had 75 points in the standings last year. So if they get, again, like if they can get to like 83, 84, that's progress. You just got to keep building runway. You can't have it like where it was a couple of years ago where when Ryan O'Reilly got to the Blues, he was like, yeah, it was so bad in Buffalo, I wanted to stop playing hockey. That's how miserable I was. You got to, if you're going to have all those young guys, you draft that high. You got to have them in a good environment. You can't just have them go in and getting their doors blown off every night. The the environment matters. There is a good way to lose. Constantly demoralizing victories by multiple goals to good and bad teams. That's not going to be good for anybody. That's just going to make everybody upset. You got to have, and I should have said this before with Detroit when you mentioned it briefly, they signed all of those veteran guys for that specific reason. So the young guys just aren't getting their doors blown off every single night. Even if you're not losing, still being competitive matters. It, it does matter to be competitive. And they brought back the great jerseys. So yes. maybe that'll bring they brought back the slug. They, they brought back the slug. They, the, the goat head. Did they bring yeah, the buffer slug? The buffer slug. Yeah. The goat the, head. Same thing. We're talking yeah, about well, the same well, thing. The, well, the snow, because the slug was like that yellow thing that was around for a little bit. Just but, the logo, not like yeah. the color. Just yeah, the logo. yeah. okay. About the same thing. Don't right, worry. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I mean, they like, like, I, I think, I think you brought up a good point. Like, they, they're not going to, to, to make any damage in the, come the playoffs, but they'll, they'll definitely be some a team to look out for in the future. Granted, the Sabers don't make silly decisions, which they've been prone to. Fingers crossed, though. I mean, hey, for if you're a Sabres fan, like, fingers crossed. Like, maybe maybe this time around, the Sabres won't do stupid things that ruin the, the franchise. Who knows? Watch Owen Power. They might only have, like, one national televised game. You might have to be an ESPN Plus head and go and find the Sabres stream when they're playing a miscellaneous team. But watch some Owen Power. Watch some Rasmus Dalin. 
And last but not least, in this Atlantic division, the godforsaken Montreal Canadiens, who were kind of entertaining once Marty St. Louis got hired, because like even if they lost, he would say something that was intelligent. And it's just very refreshing to hear somebody who's in the NHL say something intelligent, because that just doesn't happen that often. So <laughs> I'm just curious to see if he can continue that good energy and goodwill over the course of a full season when they're probably going to lose 50 to 60 games because that roster is gaping with holes. Carey Price not coming back. Shea Weber's contract has been traded. He's not coming back. There are a few guys I'm curious to see. Jonathan Jeroen's been away from hockey the last couple of years trying to get his personal life in order. He's had some mental illness struggles. So I'm very curious to see if he's going to play and how well he's going to play. Curious to see what Sean Monahan does in a walk year for him in Montreal. If Cole Caulfield can maintain what he did once Marty St. Louis became the coach. If Yuri Slavkovsky is going to make the team out of camp. There are some storylines here. The Canadians aren't very talented, but there are some things that are going to be interesting about them at the very least this upcoming season. You would think that Yuri Slavkovsky will make the team, especially yeah. being a first overall pick. The, the Canadians don't have much in the way of of space available to him yeah. like especially is what is what is his natural position is he a, is he a right wing i do you, think do you know i think he's left because he, i'm left? pretty sure he, okay. i'm pretty sure he's left left okay okay well if he's a left and then even then like okay so you have cole caulfield and then you have who who do you have? You have Jonathan. Is, is are you really going to put Jonathan Drouin over your first overall pick? I, I guess like maybe if to you start, wanted to slow play him. If you, if wanted, you to wanted to play, slow play him, then you fit him. At, you fit him in the third line. The daily faceoff right now has the projected third line as Dadnoff, Kirby Dog, and Brendan Gallagher. If you slot Slavkovsky in there, line. that's, a, that's, that was that's a, a pretty good third line. You have yeah. Dog, you have Gallagher. Now you bring in Slavkovsky. The, the first overall pick is going to be dynamic. He's going to bring some some high end talent to this team. That's that could be a lethal a lethal line. And then if you want to move him up, and then you have Christian Dvorak and Josh Anderson. If that's your second line, and and you have Slavkovsky there, then he can be you can, he can be the sniper on that team because Dvorak will will just pass him the puck all the time, and Josh Anderson will get the puck to Dvorak, but then pass it to Slavkovsky, who scores. Like that's if you want to do that, then you can do that. Like the 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 Habs have options here, but I would be like Slavkovsky would have to just not show up. For him to not make the team, I feel like he's got it in the bag. It's just a matter of the Canadians basically, basically they're like, "Hey, we're not gonna like outright give you the spot because you're 18 and you're you're brand new to the team, but you're the first overall pick and the spot's kind of yours. All you have to do is is show up and just do that and welcome aboard." Okay, before we get out of here predict the order for the three playoff spots. I won't ask you to pick the mm. wild card, but the wild card, or I mean, Boston is a wild card team, but if you had to pick the order of Florida, Tampa and Toronto, what do you think the order is? A lot of it really hinges on goaltending, which makes yeah. this nearly impossible to predict <laughs> because with, with Toronto, I, I want to say they'll finish at the top, but my concern is their goaltending. Will Matt Murray be Okay. Will Ilyas Emsonov be okay? I don't really know. For Florida, can Bobrovsky do well? I don't really know. Can Spencer Knight do better than he's shown? I don't really know. For for Tampa, I like I, I guess the answer like if I if I were to go really safe here, I would probably go Tampa, 
Toronto, Florida. But, or maybe even, yeah, like, I'll, like just the, the goaltending is such a wild card for some of these teams that especially I don't really Toronto. know, especially with Toronto. I do feel like those are the three teams that are going to make it. I have not a single clue as to who is going to end up where because of the goaltending. And maybe Tampa Bay is the safest pick because it's essentially the same team. And they just keep going on long runs. So maybe, maybe just to make it safe, I'll have Tampa at the top. Maybe Toronto can just outscore the other team and be second and have Florida be number three. I don't think Detroit's going to make it. I think Boston will be in the wild card spot. Maybe they'll even challenge Toronto or uh, uh, or Florida, Florida. For, the, for, the, yeah. for the third playoff spot. I mean, I don't know. Like Boston's definitely in the mix. After that, I, I, it would be very difficult for me to say like, you know, Ottawa's making the wild card. Is Detroit making the wild card? Buffalo, Montreal. Like, I don't think any of them are are, are gonna really ultimately make it. But of those four, Tampa is really the only one that like screams playoffs to me. The other three, they could either be second, third. You know, they like they can either be second or they could like make the playoffs to the final game of the season by like a 10-9 score just because they can. Like there's there's really no telling. It's gonna be a wild watch for sure. If you're not a fan of any of these teams, if if you have means of watching them play, go go watch them play because it's gonna be it's gonna be a wild ride one way or another. Okay, really quick before we get out of here, I do want to promote um Michael Russo of The Athletic wrote something today. He sat down with Brock Besser, and Brock Besser reflected on the loss of his dad. I highly encourage you, if you have the means to access it, go and read it. Take 10 minutes, and remember every time you shit talk about a hockey player to separate the person from the hockey player because these are people who are going through very real things. Uh, one of the things that was in there was at one point, they were Bruce Boudreau was like, you can just – don't have to play hockey the rest of this year. You can go home. That's more important. Go spend time with your family. And in reality, that's what my parting shot is. It's very straightforward. They're athletes. They're also people. Just remember they're people too. Everybody's allowed to have a bad day every now and then. And don't get too hung up on the results of a game. There will be another game. Yeah. And I'll just pick it back off of what you're saying. Like it's, it's very important to just be like, Hey, like, if if somebody isn't having the greatest of games or if somebody missed an empty net or what have you, like, yeah, it, for, for the game itself, it, it's, it's important and they should be better and, and this and that. But I, I never want to see, I, if you ever at somebody on Twitter after a game and trash them, you shouldn't, you should not be allowed social media. Like you should be banned from social media. There's absolutely no reason. like, if if Shesterkin had Twitter, for example, right, and like he and he, I think he does, but he doesn't really use it. I mean, like anybody, right? Like it, yeah, if, yeah. if 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 Jacob Markstrom, I think he, I think he has Twitter, but it doesn't matter. Like let's say Jacob Markstrom doesn't have Twitter, he ma- he makes Twitter, and after the the after every Edmonton game, you go and you're like at Jacob Markstrom, like you stink, like you're terrible, yada yada, like you're so bad. I first of all, I don't want to know you. And second of all, like you shouldn't have social media because like at the end of the day, athletes can say that it doesn't bother them and it doesn't, you know, affect them or whatever, but they still read it. 
Like you, yeah. there's no reason to be a dickhead to, to yes. people. Like you can you can be upset at somebody's on ice performance, but once they're off the ice and you remember that they could be your neighbor, they can be you know somebody that you see at the bar or at the supermarket or whatever. Like you wouldn't go up to somebody at the at the store and say hey like you did a terrible job at landscaping the other day like you dude you suck like you shouldn't be you, you should be traded like you shouldn't be you know at this landscaping job like like can you like that's ridiculous that's ridiculous yeah. you can you can hate you like you can like, you can dislike somebody's on ice performance and you know like we 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 love to to highlight how bad Libor Hayek is at hockey, this man can't play hockey at the NHL level. But not once are we, you know, did we say anything about the dude? We're not talking about him. We're talking about him when he plays ice hockey for the Rangers. This dude sucks. Like he's, he's, he stinks. But I'm never gonna at him and be like, bro, you stink. Like that's ridiculous. I'm sure he's a great person. Like there's a lie. Just don't cross it. Yeah. Just be smart yeah. about it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh Full episode will be up on YouTube later tonight once I'm done editing this. Andrew will get to work on the audio. It'll be up on all your favorite audio podcasting platforms some point tonight or into tomorrow. Uh, follow the show's Twitter. It's at Liberty Blue Pod. On Instagram, it's Liberty Blue Pod. On YouTube, it's Liberty Blue Podcast. On Twitch, it's Liberty Blue Pod. That is Andrew Chelney. His Twitter is Chelney Andrew, C H E L N E Y. My personal handle is at Nick Zararis, C-A-R-A-R-I-S. Be sure to follow those. We will see you next week, and we'll probably do the Central Division because I think that's the most interesting division in hockey next week. We'll see you guys then. Have a good week. Um, It's time to go watch more football. (laughs) Later.